Good evening. It's good to see all of you out this evening. We're glad that you're here with us. Our lesson for tonight is back to our one word series. And tonight we're looking at the word resurrection. Last week we looked, well, a couple of weeks ago we looked at the word judgment. And tonight we're looking at resurrection. As we look at the word resurrection, I think we all have an idea of what that means, mostly in regard to Jesus. But if I were to ask you to define the word resurrection, how would you define it? Resurrection is defined as the action or fact of resurrecting or being resurrected. Uh, such as the raising of something or someone that was dead to life. And though the word is mostly used in a religious sense, it could also be used in other ways. Uh, Something that has been buried for many years, being unearthed and used. Uh, Maybe some kind of a bill that was never passed and someone goes back and maybe they revise a little bit and and bring it to life. They resurrect that idea. And, And so resurrection can be used in other ways other than the way that we normally use it. But often when we think of resurrection, we are reminded of certain individuals that are mentioned in Scripture. I might think of the Shunammite woman's son in 2 Kings chapter 4 with Elisha and how he was resurrected. Or Jairus' daughter in Luke chapter 8. Or especially one that we would remember Lazarus in John chapter 11. And all of these were resurrected by the power of God, but they all have something in common too, and that is that they all had to die again. They were resurrected, but they had to die again. And these were used as examples of the power of God to strengthen the faith of believers and to show the unbelieving that with God... The impossible is possible. But I don't want to spend our our time on those instances of resurrection because I do think that there is something else in this word that we can look at to a greater degree. Uh, Some other ways that resurrection is used in Scripture are in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. The representation of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection in baptism. And the resurrection of the saints from death to eternity. These will be the focus of our lesson for tonight on the word resurrection. We begin with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the importance of it. And to really get the full significance of his resurrection, we have to go back back to his death on the cross. Jesus suffered physical pain and torture, as well as mental anguish over the events surrounding his death. In the Garden of Gethsemane, He prayed to his Father. Matthew 26 and verse 39 says that he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying, Oh my Father, if it is possible, 
Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He was beaten and mocked following his so-called trial. And he was forced to bear a cross. His own cross. In Matthew 26, in picking up with verse 65, it says, Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. Verse 67 says that they spat in his face and beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ. Who is the one who struck you? In chapter 27, picking up with verse 27, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. They bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spat on him, took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. And the next part is recorded in Matthew, but I want to read the next verse from Luke, Luke 23 and verse 26. Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country. On him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. We know that Jesus had to bear his own cross. It's often speculated that he stumbled somewhere along the way and, and that's not too hard of a, a thing to, to understand maybe. But we're not told that specifically in scriptures. But for whatever reason they caught someone else to, to bear his cross. And his name was Simon. After enduring such horrendous treatment he was nailed to the cross where he died for the sins of the world. Luke 23, picking up the verse 44. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed. His last. Jesus died for the sins of mankind, taking on the punishment that belonged to us as transgressors. We also read in Scripture of his burial, starting in Matthew 27 and verse 57. Now, when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. 
When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. He rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Jesus died. And after death, as tradition would have it, he was buried. Now, Let's think for a moment. What if the story had ended right here? What if the story ended with Jesus' death and burial? If the story had ended right here, Satan and the grave stand victorious. We die without any hope of having our sins taken away from us. Even the sacrifices that we may offer to God would be of no avail because even they look to Jesus' sacrifice of Himself. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5, Therefore, when He came into the world, He said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. And I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. In verse 11, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by offering... He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. If we stop right here, if the story ends here, death wins. Death wins. But the story doesn't end there. With Jesus' resurrection from death, it is not the end. Let's look a little closer at Jesus' resurrection. Pick up with Matthew 28, verse 1. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Verse 5, But the angel answered and said to the women, 
do not be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen. As he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples. That he is risen from the dead. And indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. I wonder about that fear that they had. Uh, that contrast between fear and, and great joy, the mixed emotions that they had. But they ran. They had great news to share. And so they ran with it. Over a period of 40 days, Jesus made many appearances of himself to his disciples, assuring them that scripture was fulfilled, that he was risen, that he was alive. It is only after Jesus' resurrection that we find victory in his sacrifice. Had he not been resurrected, the punishment for our sins would still be necessary as his victory would not have been completed. For us to be victorious, for us as Christians to stand victorious over death, over Satan, just as Jesus did, he had to rise from the dead. And so that was an important part of the story. We know that Jesus is alive. We believe by faith that Jesus is alive and His resurrection means a great deal to us as Christians. But let's look at another form of this word resurrection. Let's look at the resurrection of baptism. In answer to the question, men and brethren, what shall we do in Acts 2.37? We read Peter's answer in verse 38. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. Notice here that in the answer to the question what shall we do? They wanted to know what shall we do next? They had heard this great sermon by Peter and now they're wondering, what shall we do next? And what does he tell them? He tells them, repent and let every one of you be baptized. Now why is that so complicated to understand? I don't know. But the world seems to see that a little differently, don't they? It says very plainly, very clearly, clear enough that we can understand exactly what Peter was saying. Repent and let every one of you be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ. And he gives the result. If you repent and if you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You can have remission of sins. Baptism is most certainly a part of the plan. Obedience in baptism is a representation of Jesus' own sacrifice for our sins. When we repent 
of our sins. We die. The life that we have formerly lived, we have no desire to live that way any longer. And so that, that's a representation of Christ's death. When we die to sin, we see His death. We are baptized for the remission of our sins. And, and as we are baptized, as we look at, at that water, that water becomes a grave. It's where our, our spiritual being is buried. And it's a representation of the burial of Christ. And, and, and coming up out of that watery grave, we are resurrected. Resurrected to walk a new life, a new direction. We are resurrected to walk in Christ. And, and so as we see our own resurrection, from that watery grave, we can also see the resurrection of Christ from the dead. In Romans 6, beginning with verse 1, reading through verse 14. Romans chapter 6 and beginning with verse 1. We see these things laid out very clearly by Paul. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its love. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under law but under grace. Now as we look at the words of Paul here as he writes this letter to the Romans we see the difference between a Christian and a sinner. Some people don't understand that when we become a Christian that we are no longer like we once were. We no longer live the life that we once lived. We are different. And as a Christian, I am no longer a sinner. Why? 
Go back to, let's pick up a verse 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. I'm not a sinner any longer because I am to be dead to sin. And here's the difference. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. I no longer obey sin. Does that make me perfect? No. I do make mistakes from time to time. I do sin against God. I, I do things sometimes that I wish I didn't. But that doesn't make me a sinner any longer. Unless I completely surrender myself to sin once again. But sin is not to reign within us. And it no longer reigns within me if I am the Christian that I ought to be. I, I no longer obey sin. I no longer live for sin. I am different. Verse 13, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And notice what it says in verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. When I become a Christian, I am no longer a sinner because sin no longer has dominion over me. It no longer rules my life. My life is ruled by God, by Christ, and my service to Him. That's what I live for. I am under grace. The grace, the amazing grace of God. Now, without Christ's resurrection, from the dead. This victory that I find in becoming a Christian and no longer living for sin. Without His resurrection, you see, we cannot be victorious. And without obedience to God's plan, we cannot be victorious. If I refuse to obey the gospel, if I refuse the grace of God, then I remain a sinner. I'm still in my unrighteousness. I cannot find victory. Christ provided the victory, but it's conditional. It's something that we mentioned this morning. It's conditional on our obedience. It's conditional on our surrendering ourselves to Him. That's how we find victory. As important as Christ's resurrection from the dead was to us, so was our obedience to Him. Let's also look at the final resurrection of the saints. One day, as in the song that we sang, one day the faithful will be resurrected from the dead. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 
verses 13 through 18. We read this. But I, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. It has been promised that Christ will return for his own to a group of people that that didn't quite understand exactly what was going to happen to those who were already dead Paul writes these words in order to comfort them those who have already passed from life will not miss the return of Christ they too will rise to meet those who remain on earth to meet the Lord together in the air. And the faithful will remain with the Lord always. Those are comforting words. There's going to be a great resurrection day. When those who have gone before, which may be us also, if time continues, will be resurrected. Resurrected from the dead. Resurrected to meet our Savior. We know that whenever we are resurrected that we will be given a new body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and starting with verse 35. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 35. But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one! What you sow is not made alive unless it, it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that, that shall be, but mere grain. Perhaps wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body as He pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Verse 46. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. 
The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, corruptible must, be, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I remember seeing pictures from somewhere in my past of what people view the resurrection to be. And I remember seeing pictures of, of a great light and of Jesus in the sky and, and all these people are leaving the earth in the form that they are in. I, I don't know what we'll look like, but we'll be changed. We are told that we'll be changed. The body that we will, be, that we will possess will be incorruptible. It will be immortal. It will be of a spiritual nature, not the nature that, that we are familiar with. Now, do I believe that we will know each other? Absolutely. I believe that we'll know each other in heaven. We'll know who we are. But we'll be different. We do not know what our spiritual being will look like, but we know that the earthly bodies that we now possess will be no more. We, as Jesus, will gain a victory. A victory over death. A victory over the grave. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? We will be re resurrected to an eternal reward. We're told a little bit about that reward in Revelation chapter 21. Beginning with verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, 
nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Verse 6, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Through the victory of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. We who are faithful. We who overcome. Are granted entrance. Into a heavenly reward. Of eternity. With God. The sorrows that we know on earth. Will not be known in heaven. For the former things have passed away. I remember several years ago now there was a song that came out on Southern Gospel Radio. Tim Lovelace, I think, was the one that sang it. He sang about all the things that won't be in heaven and all the aches and pains that age brings and, and all the discomforts of life. All those things are going to be taken away. The faithful will be given a wonderful reward but we are also told that those who fail will not be so fortunate. I did a class on Revelation for the School of Preaching a year or so ago. Brother Glenn Pritchett was in that class. Some of you may know him. Uh, he's been here before. And one of the things that he said in every class, well, what if I don't overcome? And that's something that has stuck with me. We talk so much about within the churches of Asia especially each one, he who overcomes will be given a crown of life or he who overcomes will be uh, will gain access to the, the fountain of life or, or, or all these things that, that we will receive if we overcome. But what if? What if I don't overcome? Answer is given them. Revelation 21 and verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Those who do not overcome will also be rewarded for their deeds. But I'm sure it won't be the reward they're expecting or hoping for. All unrighteousness is sin. And sin not repented of will lead to death, as we read in 1 John 5, 17. All unrighteousness will lead to death. The second death of Revelation 21 and verse 8. something that we do not want to see. We cannot remain in, in our unrighteousness. The only way that we can be made righteous is by obedience to God's Word. 
the plan of salvation by living a faithful life. As we look at this lesson, as we look at the resurrection of Christ, we see that it is only the beginning for mankind. But all of the things that, that we might enjoy in Christ are hinged on His resurrection. If He hadn't been resurrected, where would we be? It is through His death, burial, and resurrection that we can be saved through our obedience to the words of God and obedience to the plan of salvation through our own death, burial, and resurrection. We come in contact with the cleansing blood of Christ that gives us life in Him. If we live in Christ faithful to Him through our years on earth, we will eventually die in Christ also. But death for a Christian is only a transition into eternity as we will be resurrected to a new spiritual body and given forever. Given an eternity with God and His saints. All of this is hinged on the resurrection of Christ. If He hadn't been resurrected from the dead... We wouldn't have the plan of salvation. We wouldn't have this ability to come in contact with this blood. It was that important. And if we are not obedient, we cannot enjoy eternity with God. We all want to be in heaven with God and Christ one day, don't we? I believe you do. But the question comes, are we willing to do what is necessary on earth to get to heaven. And what is necessary? The exact thing that Peter told those people on the day of Pentecost. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. That's required of everyone. Now those unwilling to become Christians those unwilling to give their life to Christ in obedience to His Word will not be able to enjoy that eternity with Him. And likewise, those who may have turned away from God at some point in their life, those who have not remained faithful, they cannot overcome either. Those unwilling to repent of, of their sins and turn back to God and rededicate their life to Him, they also will miss that reward in heaven. And so the question comes to you, are you on the right path? Are you a Christian? Are you a faithful child of God? Is there something amiss in your life? Is there something that you need to correct tonight? Is there any way that we can assist you in either obedience or repentance? If we can pray for you, We'll be glad to help you in any way that we can. If you stand in need, if you realize tonight that you stand outside of Christ, maybe you need to be resurrected from the dead state that you are in right now. And if that is the case, if we can be helpful in any way, we ask that you come as together we stand and as we sing.